song you probably don't need to be waking up. <laughs> that was beautiful. Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> the title of the message, you know, I, I, I came up with this title to this message and I realized that I have probably used this title for a message more than any other title. The Sovereignty of God. For God is sovereign. And Romans 8 teaches us that God is sovereign over both suffering and salvation. Uh, verses 17 and 18 sets the theme where Paul says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth being compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us. Children of God are fellow heirs with Christ. And Paul says that if we suffer with him, then we will also be glorified with him. And from verses 18 through verse 30, Paul meditates on the connection between suffering and glory in four phases. First, uh, creation longs for deliverance, Paul says. Second, believers groan inwardly as we wait for our redemption to be complete. And third, the Holy Spirit aids us our, as believers. He aids us in our weaknesses. And fourth, for those who love God, the sovereign God ordains history and he seals our good to fulfill his purpose. Romans chapter 8 to me is a, a doxology where Paul is saying, let me tell you how good your father is. Let me tell you how sovereign your God is. And so as we, Romans uh, 8, 28 through 30, assures us as believers of God's providence in all things, of God's sovereignty in all things, especially our salvation. Look at verse 29 and 30. Paul says, and we know... Or verse 28, I'm sorry. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Listen, these verses have been a source of controversy throughout the, church, the history of the church. But we need to understand that God is sovereign. God foreknew who would love him. Now, there are many who had this idea that, that God looked ahead in history and he saw who would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and so he chose them to be saved. But that is not what the Bible teaches at all. 
God, this verse is not simply suggesting that God knows the future. These verses, as I said, have been the source of controversy, but many, uh, we, we understand that human choice does not determine a person's salvation. Can you imagine someone getting into heaven, they're praising Jesus, they're saying, Lord, thank you for saving me, thank you for everything you did for me, and then we turn to one another and say, hey, I want to take a minute and thank myself now. Because I made the choice to believe in Christ. I made the choice to accept salvation. We need to take that last one off if that's true. Because it's not all for the glory of God. This misses the biblical teaching. God's knowledge of us is personal. It's not more merely just informational. Um, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, we read that Adam knew his wife Eve. And she conceived a son. It's an intimate kind of knowledge. And it's a knowledge that says, I know you. I know you. And I love you. There have been some Bible scholars who have said that that word foreknew could actually be translated foreloved. That God foreloved us. It's important to know that what this verse says is whom God foreknew, not what God foreknew. That makes all the difference, doesn't it? It's whom God foreknew. It's whom God knew. God foreknew because God foreordained. It is God who makes the choice. If God predestinates people because they're going to believe, the ground of our salvation is in ourselves and in our own merit. When the Bible is clear that it is God who foresees, God who foreknew, and it is God who gives faith. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and that's not your own. It comes from God. If you believed, it's because God gave you the faith to believe. He calls, He justifies, and He glorifies. Listen, folks, we need to understand this. This, this is so important to me. Well, it's important to the Word of God. That we understand that God is the one who receives all the glory. All of it. From beginning to end, my salvation is God. Y'all ready? The only thing we contribute to our salvation is the sin that made it necessary. That's the only thing. And, and, and God here, Paul says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. He predestined. Uh, we must conclude that, that this phrase, for, for those whom he foreknew, signifies that those whom God knew personally. Now, now get this in your mind. <clears throat> in the book of Revelation, John, as he looks upon the throne, he says, I saw a lamb as it had been slain before the foundation of the world. In Ephesians 1, Paul says that we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. 
before God ever created anything, God knew me. And if you're saved, who knew you? And he said, I'm going to save him. Now, we, we, we have this idea. People, I, I have had people tell me this. You know what? This is not fair. Well, fair sends us all to hell. You realize that, right? It's not about fair. It's about God being sovereign, which means that God being sovereign can do whatever God wants. And he's not really concerned what I think about it. Do you understand that? So God's foreknowledge is His affectionate, distinguishing love. And, you know, I have found, and you know, over the, uh, when we get into chapter 9, we're going to kind of rehash a lot of this stuff because I'm going to tell you something. I, I find it interesting that you will find very few Christians who will say that Israel is not God's chosen people. But yet they have a problem with looking at me and saying, you are His chosen child. <laughs> And it doesn't make sense. God can choose because God is God. And the word predestinate literally means to determine or decide beforehand. Salvation is all of God from beginning to end. It's all of God from start to finish. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. There, there is a, a popular but unbiblical view of salvation that is in many churches today. And it is this, that you are out there and you're drowning and God throws you a life preserver and pulls you in. But that's not what the Bible teaches the Bible teaches that we were dead. We were at the bottom of that ocean. There was nothing there but bones. And God reached down there and picked it up and gave it life. But it is God that does it. It says, those whom he predestined, he also called. Uh, now, now, there is a sense in which the general call of the gospel goes out to everyone. We are called to preach the gospel to every tribe and language and nation. We are called to preach this, but, but there is a sovereign call that elicits a faith in God. Look at, turn back to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Oh, let's see here. Look at verses... Six and seven. Paul says in well, let's go back to verse five. Let's go back to verse one, because it ain't gonna make any sense if we don't. <laughs> Romans one, one through seven. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, whom he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who is descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations, including those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. 
Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So there Paul began this letter talking about, he says, this letter is to those who have been called to be his, who have been called to be God's. And, and this call is generally, it goes out. But here's the thing. You see, the, the, the call of the gospel, the, the message of the gospel is to be proclaimed to the whole world. But it is only those who have been called by God who will respond. Give me an example. When my kids were little, we were at a church function, and there was probably 100 people there, probably 20, 30 kids. They were all running around and everything. And I heard a voice say, Daddy. And I knew immediately who it was. Now, there was 20 or 30 kids. I didn't look and say, hey, was that one of mine? I knew the voice of my son. And when he said, Daddy, I was the only one that responded. And that's the message. That's, the, that's what Paul is telling us here. When, that, when my son cried out and he said, Daddy, everybody in there heard it. But the only one that responded was his father. Isn't that a beautiful picture right there? And that's what God does. Those whom He predestined, He called. This general call goes out. J.I. Packer, in his book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, says this, and I quote, In the first place, you give thanks to God for your conversion. Now, why do you do that? Because you know in your heart that God was entirely responsible for it. You didn't save yourself. He saved you. There is a second way in which we acknowledge that God is sovereign in salvation. You pray for the conversion of others. You ask God to work in them everything necessary for their salvation. End quote. Listen, you ever prayed for someone to be saved? I have found that those who don't even believe what we're talking about this morning in the doctrine of election and predestination and all this... They pray to God for people to be saved. Well, why? Why do we pray for God? Why, when we have a lost loved one, why do we say, what do we pray? We pray, God, change their heart. You know why we pray that? Because He's the only one who can. We don't contract, congratulate ourselves for our wise choice of Christ. Paul talks about justification and glorification there in verse 30. Because of the finished work of Christ, God acquits believers so that we no longer face guilt or the punishment of our sins. God didn't look at me and say, <clears throat> now Bobby Baker's a sinner, but, but he don't really mean it. I'm just going to let it go. He doesn't look at me and say, Bobby Baker's a sinner. But I feel sorry for him. I'm going to just ignore it. He didn't do that. He looked at me and said, Bobby Baker's a sinner that deserves my wrath and hell. But I love him. And I'm going to save him. Now, you know, another aspect of God loving us before the foundation of the world is, is something very important here. If God loved me before the foundation of the world, that means that I didn't do anything to make him love me. 
And therefore, I can't do anything to make him stop. You know, as a matter of fact, you could look at it this way. For every single believer on earth, do you know when God started loving you? He didn't. He's always loved us. He never started. He has always loved me. How could he love me when I didn't even exist? It would be, I don't know how thousands of years before I would exist. But God is sovereign and God knew us and God is God. And so therefore, God, because of the finished work of Christ, he acquits us as believers so that we are no longer faced the guilt or the punishment of our sins. He says, I love you. I have prepared before the foundation of the world the lamb to be slaughtered. And that lamb is my son. I mean, have you ever realized that Adam's sin did not take God by surprise? He already knew that was going to happen. You realize that if you ever want to see, Paul says God demonstrates his love for us. In other words, how do we know God loves us? He says because God demonstrates his love for us that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. But you want me to show you another picture of God's love? Knowing that Adam's sin was going to cause the death of his son, he created Adam anyway. He did. Knowing what was going to happen. Justification, according to the Baptist and the Westminster Shorter Catechism, justification is an act of God's free grace wherein he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. You know what that says right there? It says that God saved you because he's God, and he can. That's what it says. Justification is a gift. It is given with no conditions except the need to be received by faith. You know, I remember when I got saved, I didn't feel any different. Unfortunately, I didn't look any different. But I was. I was different. I had passed from life. How do I know that? Because God's Word told me so. And I take God at His Word. You know, uh, Somebody told me here one time, they said, you know, you don't really look like a preacher. And I said, well, what does a preacher look like? <laughs> and I thought to myself when I was thinking about that, you know, 99% of the time I don't feel like a Christian. But it's not based on my feeling. It's based on what God's Word says. I, I have fallen into sin, and I sit there and I say, what is wrong with me? I must not be saved. God says, yes, you are. That's why it's bothering you so much. See, we walk by faith and not by sight. And Paul here, he says that, that, that we must receive justification on the basis of faith. And because it's God's action completed in the past, it is unfading and it is incorruptible. 
The phrase is those who or those whom appear six times in these four, uh, three verses. And it assures us that God carries his people from beginning to glorification. Right? For those whom he foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Also, and those whom he justified, and those whom he justified, he glorified. Now let's read that like we normally think. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, if they would make the choice to believe Christ. Does it say that? Verse 30, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And if they answer, then he will justify them. That's not what it says. And those whom he predestined, he called. You know, it, it's interesting if you go to the to the Gospels and you read about the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, and he goes to the disciples, he goes to Matthew, he goes to Nathaniel, and he says to them, "Follow me." Just those two words. That's all he said. Follow me. He didn't say give them any explanation. He didn't give them anything. And you know what the verses say? Immediately. They left it and followed him. You know why? Because when he calls, you answer. When he calls, you answer. All of this comes down to the and, and let me let me let me just warn you ahead of time. We're not done with these verses yet. I I was I was preparing this message and writing out my notes and thought, you know. If I preach this the way it needs to be, we're going to be here about three, four hours. So over the next couple of Sundays, we're going to probably be camped out right here in these two, three verses. All right. So I, there's no way I can get it all in here. But we, we understand that because it's God's action, because it is God who does this, it's not about me. It's not about you. My salvation is not about me. It's about Him. For what purpose? That we might glorify God. If God predestines us, He also calls. And when He calls, He justifies and finally he glorifies. And it's important to note that he says whom he justified, he also glorifies. Glorified, that's in the past tense. How many of you here feel glorified? But you see, from God's point of view, it's already done. That's how certain it is. It's already done. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. I, I, I love what Paul says there. <clears throat> he says, and I am sure of this. Some translations, and I like that better, where he says, I am confident of this very thing, 
I'm sure of this. I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, who is that he? God. Will bring it to completion. At the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus in his great high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, he's praying and he says, Father, he said, all that you have given me, I have not lost one. And by the way, he hadn't today either. And by the way, he never will. Every person. Listen, when Jesus Christ hung on that cross, every single person that he intended to save will be saved. Every one of them. He will not lose one. All that the Father who chose us and predestined in eternity past before the foundation of the world, that you and I would be conformed to the image of his son. And he said, I will complete that. It will happen. And I want to tell you, that's a great encouragement to me. Because I look at my life and I see the sin in my life and I see the failure in my life. And God says, I promise I will fix this. I will make you right. In spite of you. Not because of you, but in spite of you. And it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing here to know that from God's point of view, this is already accomplished, that we are glorified. And verse 29 gives us the goal for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Listen, the words there in verse 29, to be conformed to the image of his son, and the word there in verse 30, glorified, you know those are the same thing? That's what it will be to be glorified. We will be conformed to the image of his son. We are in the process now of being made into that image. And we must remember that God does not love us to the degree that we are like Christ. But God loves us to the degree that we are in Christ. You know, the, 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 in, the, in the Old Testament, the ark was a picture of Christ. God was flooding the world with, with, with judgment, judgment waters of, of the flood. And he told Noah and his family to get into the ark. Well, that's really not what he said. He said, come into the ark. There's a big difference in saying get in and come in. And then if you read it, it says that God shut the door. And throughout the judgment waters, they were safe. Noah and his family were safe. Now, as someone has pointed out, Noah may have fell down in that ark, but he never fell out of it. And I want to tell you, folks, we may fall down in Christ, but we will never fall out of Christ. And that's why Paul could say there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I will camera that home time after time after time after time because what matters in our salvation is whether or not we are in Christ. Not whether we're good people, not whether we're good church members, not whether we know how to pray, not whether we read a Bible, not whether we share the gospel, but whether we are in Christ. Because you can do all those other things and not be in Christ. 
But Paul says, for those who are in Christ, not only is there no condemnation, he said, but everything that happens to you is ordained by God, and he's working them for your good and his glory. And not only that, the reason he's doing that is because before the foundation of the world, he chose you. In Ephesians chapter 1, it says, in love, he predestined us. In love. Let me read that right quick. I want to read the whole thing. I don't want to misquote it. Verse 3, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Even as he, Paul keeps using this word, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. The whole thrust of this that, 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 that Paul that I get from what Paul's saying here in Romans chapter 8 and what he said there in Ephesians chapter 1 is that we need to come to the understanding that this is all about God and Him alone. I won't get any glory because I don't deserve it. All my glory belongs to Christ. And one day, Paul says, because God loved you, and do you know something else about love? It's choice. You know, the Bible tells me in John, in 1 John, he says that if I don't love you, then I don't know God. I don't love God. But here's the thing. <clears throat> if I love you, it's because I choose to love you. Otherwise, I'm going to say... Well, you know, as long as Jamie comes every Sunday and plays the piano, I'm going to love her. Yeah. Or as long as my wife always cooks what I like, then I'm going to love her. Because, you know, she likes Chinese food and I can't stand it. So as long as Tim supports me, I'm going to love him. See the problem with all that? That's right. It's all about me. But God said, I love you because I chose to love you. And therefore, I love you because I choose to love you. And so we understand that God says, look, as long as we keep our minds on ourselves... As long as I think salvation's about me, then you know what verse 28 is going to do? And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and call him to his purpose. I look at it and say, when I suffer, when I face trouble, and when I face trials and say, why me, God? What did I do? Rather, Paul is saying, don't look at it that way. Keep your eyes on him and look at it and say, God, I don't know why I'm going through this. I know this hurts, but God, I trust you. Because you love me. Because you love me. I read about a man one time who was telling about his daughter. She was little, like five, six years old. And he said he saw one time as these men came and grabbed his daughter. 
and carried her off into another room and he could hear his daughter screaming and he said, and I was totally helpless to do anything about it. He said, but you know what? He said, I wouldn't have if I could. He said, because those men were doctors and they were saving her life. See the point? So Paul says, keep your eyes on him because he's the one that's going to work all things together for our good. He's the one that's going to conform us to the image of Christ. He's the one that has called us and justified us and predestined us and that will ultimately glorify us. It's all about Christ. It's all about Him. With everything that Paul wrote, everything that Paul lived, and, and this is what he wants from us, is to live our lives. Listen, folks, if we ever get to a point as believers in Christ, as followers of Christ, where we keep our eyes on Him and off of ourselves and off of our circumstances, we will find not that life will be easier, but that it'll all mean something. That's what it is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning. Father, thank you that in love you chose us and predestined us before the foundation of the world. Father, we know that had you not chosen us, we never would have chosen you. Because we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But Father, we thank you that you chose us in Christ and gave us life in Christ. And Father, may we learn to keep our eyes upon Christ, to walk by the eyes of faith, by the promises of your word, and not by what we feel or what our circumstances say. But Father, that we might learn that everything and all the glory belongs to you. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, as we come this morning to <clears throat> the Lord's table, I'd like to remind you folks of the importance of the bread and the juice, that we remember that Paul tells us in the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians that we need to examine ourselves. It's a very dangerous thing to partake of this. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of what I've done. Not only of what he's done in the past, but what he continues to do today in calling and interceding for his own. So I, I ask you this morning to take a moment, search your hearts, Make sure there's no unconfessed sin in your life. Make sure there's no um, harboring of, of unforgiveness or bitterness towards another in your life. But make sure that 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 your life you you have confessed all of your sin to Christ and been forgiven. And then today, 